So yeah, remember those those skinny jeans that we were trying to fit into? The whole the whole crux of that this first part of Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, of your mind, is trying to to contrast, like if we if we really want to get our heads wrapped around this, we need to contrast these two concepts: conforming and transforming. Conforming happens from the outside, right? Conforming is is the outside changing the shape of what's on the inside. Conforming is like fitting into a mold or fitting into a pattern or fill it. That's exactly what it is, right? Whereas being transformed is something that happens from the inside out and, and Saint, the Holy Spirit by the pen of St. Paul is making it very clear that to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, you hear these terms, these words, we use them almost synonymously, uh, soul and spirit, body, soul and spirit. So that's what we're made up of. As, as human beings, we're made up of three things, body, soul and spirit. And the soul is, is the seat of the mind, the will, the emotions, all that stuff. All that stuff is the soul. That all lives in the soul, right? So St. Paul is saying that some work has got to happen in your soul to be transformed in your soul, the very makeup of who, who you are that inhabits this body, right? That needs to be transformed. The change happens from the inside. So it's not like trying to fit into those skinny jeans, but it's more like, it's more like getting those skinny jeans tailor-made for you every day. How does that, that's how does that sound, eh? Right? <laughs> right? You know? Doesn't matter, you can eat whatever you want, you can work out as much as you want, and I'll be too big, then I'll be too small. Every day, you know, they get tailor-made just for you. Every day they get adjusted just for you. The outside shape is being dictated by what's going on by the stuffing. Right? The stuffing, the inside, is the thing that's dictating what the outside is gonna look like. That's what St. Paul is saying. And specifically what inside? our minds. Big difference. Big difference between trying to squeeze into whatever clothes and it being tailor-made for you, brand new every day. And this transformation is meant to happen on the inside, not on the outside. So it may be a while before I see a big difference. I may not see any difference for quite a while. Because it's happening on the inside. When you plant a seed, it takes time before you see a little green shoot. And even then, it's hard to imagine that that will one day become a massive tree which will bring forth fruit with its own seeds and bring life in so many other places. That life that's sitting in that tiny little brown seed, and there's nothing to say for it, it's just a, it looks dead. But there's life inside of it. That's you. That's me. And that's the Word of God dwelling within you and dwelling within me. Changing us. Transforming us from the inside out. Metamorphosis, right? Is, 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 a, is a fancy way of saying this, right? Meta, change. You know, more morph like the outward appearance. Like morphology, right? Osis process process of change of the outward appearance, right? So this is not what we're talking about. 
but it's a nice analogy. You know, caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Everything changes inside the cocoon, and then one day, one day it shows up on the outside. What we're really talking about is a different kind of meta. We're talking about a different kind of change, a change of mind, right? A meta mind, a meta noose. Noose is the Greek word that the fathers often used for mind. A change of mind, a metanoia, a metanoia, a metania. Maybe you all heard that word before. A repentance it means a change of mind. Saint Paul is telling us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Something new has to come to my mind. I need a brain transplant. Most days, I feel like this. Every now and again, I think I'm this, right? Bad things happen when I think I'm this, right? I need a brain transplant. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about discarding my old thoughts, my old beliefs, my old way of going about things, my old desires, my old aspirations, my old ambitions. Ambition isn't bad, folks. Ambition is great. Great people do great things with great ambition. Selfish ambition is what St. Paul talks about in the same chapter. What is the goal and the purpose of that ambition? Who is driving that ambition? Where did it come from? Where did it arise from? It may be ambition for the greatness of somebody else, but it's not from God. It may or may not happen. But God's ambitions that He puts in your heart to do great things for Him, that's going to happen. Trying to stop God from doing what He wants to do is like standing in front of a tsunami saying, Stop. Like, yeah, right. You know? I was reading in my own personal readings in the Gospel of John about Jesus' arrest, right? It says, and, and I was reading this, um, and I read the passage over and over again. I wasn't getting anything, so I read it over and over and over again. And then finally, I burst out laughing. I just burst out laughing like I'm a crazy man, right? And I was sitting, I don't know, at Starbucks or some public place, and I remember looking around to make sure that nobody was looking at me. And I just kept laughing at myself. It says... They arrested him, and then they bound him. Like that's going to work, right? You know? The, the very actions that they did by arresting him and binding him helped him to achieve his mission, right? God has a mission for this world. He has a mission for your hospital. He has a mission for your city. He has a mission for your workplace. He has a mission for your colleagues, for your superiors, for your subordinates. He has a mission for your family, for your church. He has a mission. God has purpose. Lots of it. And nothing is going to stop him. Trying to stop him will only help him. It's like that little guy standing in front of a tsunami, you know, with his hand up saying, stop. Yeah, like that's going to work, right? But I need to let go. I need to let go of my ambitions. I need to let go of my mission. I need to let go. I need to let go. I need to let go of my ideas. I get a great idea every 1.5 seconds, right? People, the folks that I serve with the most closely at my church have learned not to take anything seriously until I put it on the calendar. When I put it on the calendar, then they're in trouble, right? But I get a new idea every one point, every, 
Every couple of seconds, like, hey, why don't we do this? Hey, why don't we do that? Right? I think they're great ideas. Why? Because they're mine. They're my babies. And I love them. Right? But they're not gods. Well, they may be, but they may not be. St. John tells us to test the spirits, to see what is from God, what is not. Put it, put it to the touchstone of Scripture. See, does it match up? Does it not? Get some spiritual guidance. Is this how God tends to work in spiritual life? Yes or no? There's plenty of ways to discern the, the workings of God and the, the, how God communicates with us, and that's not what this talk is about. But ask yourself, ask myself, John, is this the mind of Christ? Or is this my own? Am I willing to let go? Jesus left everything. He left heaven. He never left heaven. He was still in heaven. But he left heaven in a certain sense. Crossed the cosmos to come and to be with us, to have solidarity with us. He left the cherubimic throne for a manger. Any of you, who here has ever sat in a manger? Nobody? I'm the only person who the first time I went to a barn said, I gotta know what it's like to sit in a manger. I'll tell you, it wasn't terribly uncomfortable, it wasn't very comfortable, but one thing was for sure, it stank, right? It reeks, sheep stink. Wool keeps the smell of whatever it is you're, you know, you wear perfume or cologne or whatever, it keeps the smell. You go to church wearing your favorite wool sweater, you come home, it smells like incense for a day or two, right? Sheep hang out in the barn where they do their number two. <laughs> and their wool, it stinks, it reeks. When Jesus says he's like a shepherd and he carries the sheep, the stinky, stanky sheep on his shoulders, right? He left heaven. The glory of heaven. I can't part with my, my, my ideas. My babies, my thoughts, my ambitions. What's God asking you to part with today? So how are we going to do this? If we read the passage that that came from, we can read the whole passage, but I kind of tried to highlight something on this slide. He humbled himself and became obedient. To be obedient requires humility. And I could tell you all this beautiful stuff about humility. And there's volumes upon volumes written about humility. And honestly, it's all really good stuff. It's very inspiring. It can give you lots of discernment and direction and guidance in how you try to live out that humility. But the honest truth is I just got to do it. I just got to do it. I just have to be willing to part with those things that are not part of the mind of Christ. Maybe they're not part of the mind of Christ right now. Maybe they will be later. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. I live in the present. I don't live in tomorrow or 10 years from now. I live in right now. Where does God want me to be right now? What does He want me to be doing right now? Does He want me to stand? Does He want me to sit? Does He want me to talk? Does He want me to be quiet? What does He want me to do? And just do it. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Not just any death, the death of the cross. This is exactly the passage just before it in verse 6 that we say in the Gregorian liturgy, right? He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? It means that 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the, the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. What does that mean? That means that Jesus had every right to say, I'm God, so I'm behave like God. I'm going to be like God. Forget this manger business, right? Give me a palace. Give me gold. Give me a throne. I mean, this is, I mean, did he, did he have the right to that or not? Absolutely. He had the right to everything which pertains to God because he is in his incarnation, he's fully God, fully man. It's the whole doctrine of incarnation, the doctrines of the divinity of Christ. So does he have the right to, to does he have the right not to associate with our, the brokenness of our humanity? Absolutely. But having all of those rights, he didn't think that those rights were something that he needed to hold on to. Like when my rights are taken from me, I have the choice. Like I can, I can let them go or I can keep them. It's up to you. It's up to me. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to fight for your rights. You can fight for your rights or you cannot fight for your rights. You have a choice. It's up to you. You can do whatever you see, seems right to you. You think is in, you know, conforms to your ideas and your thoughts at that time. But Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't. He didn't think that it was wrong for him to say that I am the son of God. And in a variety of different ways, Jesus said that and demonstrated that. However, he still made himself a slave. Bondservant means slave. A servant who is bound. Of no reputation. Nobody. And took our likeness. The greatest, the easiest place to turn when I'm looking for inspiration about humility is to turn to Jesus. My favorite icons, my favorite icons, is the icon of Christ's humility in his torture. It's often called the icon of the bridegroom. Where he's standing, you all know what I'm talking about. He's standing and he's holding a reed and his head is bowed down and he's wearing the crown of thorns. The king of glory displays extreme humility. I need to let go of my thoughts. I need to accept that most of the time this is what my brain is compared to God. Forget about God. This is what my brain is compared to Albert Einstein or the other greats, right? Imagine compared to God. How far reaching are my thoughts? How far reaching are my ideas? Right? St. Gregory says, How can you obey St. Paul who recommends that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Romans 12.1 Holy and acceptable if you continue to follow the model of the world and do not work to renew your minds. If you do not struggle but continue to follow the customary path of the old man. At some point, I need to turn to my old man and to ask him to get lost. It just will never work. It will never work otherwise. My biggest problem for the longest time in spiritual life was I thought I was smarter than everybody else and I could have the cake and eat it too. Until I realized that the cake that I didn't want to let go of wasn't that great. It's good. It's nice. For sure. There are a lot of nice things in this world. 
a lot of nice luxuries in this world, a lot of nice comforts in this world. They're nice, not bad. Uh, ultimately, they're, you know, some permutation of God's creation. They're good things. But letting go of them is better. I promise you. I promise you, when Jesus says, sell all and follow me, it's good. It's good. It's the best thing in the world. It really is. We read all these commandments in the Bible, and I want to ask you honestly, do you believe them? Okay, you say, uh, Father John, that's like, you know, blasphemy. Of course I believe them, right? Okay. Do you really believe them? You just asked that question. Okay, fine. So what keeps us from doing them? What keeps me from living by them? When I read, sell all that you have, come and follow me, what's holding me back? Something. Something must be. I want to tell you, Jesus' commandments, first of all, make really good sense. When he says, forgive and you'll be forgiven, it's good sense. Honestly, we do lots of this in the counseling and all that stuff, right? When you forgive, the only person you're making better is yourself. The only person that you're helping is not the person whom you're releasing, whom you're allowing to let go, and you're allowing them, is yourself. When Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, he doesn't want your money. What's he going to do with your money? The streets in heaven are paved in gold, right? Like in, when there's abundance of one thing, the value of that thing drops drastically, right? What's God going to do with your money, with your wealth? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything to him. It's like monopoly money, right? What, do you, what can you do with with, uh, you know, I don't know, we Canadians go to Cuba, right? That's where we go for holidays. I know, like, saying the word Cuba is, like, it's wrong in America, right? But, but, right, you know, but, you know, here I am. Nobody's thrown anything at me yet, right? So, you know, you come back from Cuba with Cuban pesos. You can't do anything with them. You can't use them anywhere. You're not even allowed to take them out of the country, but you forgot some in your swimming trunks or whatever, in your shorts, in your wallet, right? They're useless, the wealth of this world is useless to God. So why is he saying to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Clearly he's saying, give me the stuff which is completely useless to me. Why? Well, Jesus says why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want your well-being, he's saying. I want your peace of mind. Is something you're really worried about? Give it to me. I'll take care of it for you. That's what God is saying. First of all, His commandments make sense. Second of all, if I look at the track record of my life, He kind of knows better than I do. Like, He hasn't made as many mistakes as I have. Like, he hasn't made any. Right? A multitude of reasons why. A multitude of reasons why. To encourage me. To empower me. To listen to Him. But ask yourself, ask myself, John, am I really willing to live by Jesus' commandments? Because that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself to be obedient. He humbles himself for the sake of being humble. By the way, humility is well preached amongst all spiritual paths or you know, organized belief systems that have any kind of form of organized spirituality. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, they all have beautiful writings about humility. So it's not humility for humility's sake that we're talking about here. We're talking about humility here so that when God comes and tells me, can you do this? 
My pride won't stand in the way. My desires won't stand in the way. I have a friend who was a missionary for many years and then has moved back to the West. And he and his wife, when they moved back to the West, bought a house. Um, when they bought their house, they decided that they weren't going to hang any pictures. I thought it was kind of weird, you know, right? Like everybody has pictures. So they have like, they have pictures, just don't hang them, right? And some of them are like on the mantle, some of them are on the floor, some of them, I'm like, well, why don't we hang your pictures? Like, well, over one day, like, why don't we hang your pictures? He's like, no, no, we, you know, uh, they, they live in an area of the country that is, uh, has a, a really hot real estate market. And they know that their house is liquidatable in a week. They pack their stuff, move it out, stage their house, they can sell it in a week. If God tells them, go to Kuala Lumpur, they can be there in a week. And that's how they like to live their life. They don't want anything to stand in the way of their obedience to God. My problem with obeying God is not my real estate. My problem with obeying God is me. And uh, St. James doesn't talk about it very lightly. St. James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This slide doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. It's pretty simple. Either I choose to love the one who died for me or not. He gets down, you know, on one knee and presents you the biggest honking diamond ring in the universe and says, will you marry me? There's only two acceptable answers to that question. Yes and no. Everything else is kind of like just rude, you know? Can I look at the ring? Is this real? How much does it cost? Can I take it home just for a day or two? Right? Show up in the office with that on your finger, right? Show up with you in your workplace with that on your finger. Right? Everybody says, but congratulations, why didn't you tell us that you were with somebody or whatever? You're like, yeah, not really engaged yet. I haven't quite decided. How are people going to look at you, right? You're like the most worthless human being in the universe, right? Like the, the acceptable answers are either yes or no. When someone does a display of complete and undivided love and commitment to you, the least I can have the decency of saying no or yes. But anything else is just like rude, right? But somehow with God, I don't know. It's like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Let me think about it. Give me some time. I'm not so sure, right? These days I'm like, I'm like hip deep in Isaiah, in, in, in Hosea. I'm loving it, right? I'm loving it. And, and Hosea is all about this, right? Hosea is basically this, this story about this man. It's a, he's one of the minor prophets. The first, the first one of the minor prophets, like right after Daniel, you'll find Hosea. And uh, he lived um, at the time of Jeroboam II, about, about 700 years or so before Christ. And uh, five or six kings or so before the captivity in Israel. And a little bit in Judah. And so he, a few of his prophecies are about Judah, but mostly about, about Israel. He lived at a horrible time. 
He lived an absolutely horrible time. Kings were getting assassinated. Adultery was rampant. Immorality was the norm. He lived in a horrible, horrible time. And God tells him, go and marry a prostitute. Now, it's questionable whether she was indeed uh, a prostitute before he married her. But the point is, eventually, she becomes unfaithful. Um, whether she was a prostitute before or after, she ends up being a prostitute somehow. And um, he has a child, and then she goes, and she lives with some other man, right? And then he takes her back, and then they have two other kids, and he doesn't know the, the two, the second and third children, if they are his, actually his biological children or children of some other man. And then she runs off again. And, and then he has the humiliating task of buying her back as his wife. How humiliating is that? God asks prophets to do weird things. Like really weird things. Right? Isaiah embarrassed all of his contemporaries by walking around in prisoners, a prisoner's uniform. Like acting like a prisoner of war. Jeremiah put a yoke on his shoulders and walked around with that for years. Ezekiel got a really weird haircut. Right? And he used that as a sermon. Then his wife died and he used that as a sermon. These, the, God used the prophets' lives to speak a word of truth. The word prophet, we think a prophet is someone who tells the future. No, that's like a fortune teller, right? Or a soothsayer, or a palm reader, or a psychic, or whatever, right? A prophet, the way the word is used in the Bible, is someone who speaks a word of truth. If you want to be someone who brings truth into your workplace, God may ask you to do really weird things. Because oftentimes, actions speak so much more loudly than words. But if we look carefully at Hosea, we're going to find that there's one word that is repeated 22 times in a 14 chapter book. And some of those chapters are really short, like five verses. It's a really short book, and the word return appears 22 times. If I want a true renewing of my mind, if I want a true mind transplant, if I really want the mind of Christ, I need, I need genuinely, Lord Jesus Christ, help me. I need a metanoia, a change of mind, a change of perspective, a true repentance. Not to feel guilty about stuff. It doesn't help anybody. It may produce a very short-lived result. I feel really guilty, I haven't been praying, so I go home and I pray. Yeah, that lasts for how long? A day, two days, a week at most, right? A true change of mind. And what needs to, what needs to change in the U-turn is you or me pointing the finger at myself, right? That's why it's called, that's why in this context it's called a U-turn, because you need to turn. I'm saying that, I'm saying those words to myself. I'm, not pointing the finger at you as much as I'm pointing it at myself, right? I find the most powerful thing to elicit repentance is when I read the Word of God or when I pray the Word of God and I hold my prayer book and I pray the Word of God or I open the Scripture and I read the Word of God or I attend a liturgy and I listen to the words of the liturgy and pray them 
as though they belonged only to me. As though those are words that are being spoken only to me. I'll tell you, when you do a lot of preaching, you become really thirsty to hear preaching. Because everywhere you go, you're the one doing the talking. After a while, it gets old. Sometimes I'll sit and listen to a sermon. I'll get sleepy or I'll get tired or I'll start to doze off, right? And I'll, I'll shake my head and I'll tell myself, no, 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 wait a minute. These words are for you. Like now, these blaring bright lights are in my face. I can't see anybody or anything, right? I have no idea if you're there. Y'all could have left or something, right? You come back 20 minutes from now, I wouldn't know the difference, right? Few people nod off here and there and so on. Who, who can tell, right? But if we're sitting and having coffee, you and I, right? And we're just talking. If you fall asleep, the other person's gonna notice, right? It's just a truly, right? So I tell myself, these words are for me. This liturgy is for me. This scripture is for me. These words that I'm praying are for me. They're for me to pray. They were given to me. They were written up 10,000 years ago, no, 1,000 years ago or whatever, but they were written for me. God knew one day some little dude was really struggling in his spiritual life. So he said, let, let these words be written, prepared for him. In liturgy, we say, we ask God to prepare our way. In the, the third litany, in the third hour, we say, we say, we ask God to prepare our way for us, for He is the God of our salvation. He has prepared a repentance for me. He has prepared a change of mind for me. So I want to finish with this last slide. I want to finish with something really practical. This is something I read about a year ago, and it completely changed my process of examining myself. My process of examining myself prior to this book I was reading, I was reading a, a book written by a bishop to priests in a seminar of priests about confession. So they're asking him questions. One of the questions they asked him is, how do you teach little kids to confess? So he answered them. And he told them vaguely, this is kind of what he told them to do, to teach little children to confess, seeing as I am like someone of a very little mind, I figured, you know what? Let me try this out for size. What I used to do before is I used to sit with myself, turn my phone off, get some quiet, and sit and think about all of the things that I've done that are really unfit for me to do, that don't belong to a, a child of God. Just they don't fit. They're just not right, you know? Like, like me wearing that winter coat that I couldn't get myself to fit into here in, in Florida, right? Like it's just wrong, like it's not fitting, you know? What are the things that were just unfit for me to do in my relationship with myself, in my relationship with others, in my relationship with God? That's what I used to do, which is good, which is a fair model, pretty holistic model, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But I read this, this bishop writing to these, you know, speaking to these priests in the seminar, and he says, he takes a little kid aside and he asks him, tell me the name of your best friend at school. Some kids say, I don't have a best friend at school. Imagine one of your friends at school, a person that you know. Or they say the name, Buddy. Okay, so Buddy, tell me about Buddy. Is he short? No. Is he tall? Not so tall. Average? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about Buddy. Right? And he gets the little kid to tell him all about Buddy, you know? Is he funny? Is he not? Is he serious? Is he nice? Is he mean? Tell me about Buddy, right? 
And then he asks the little kid, what of those things that you told me about Buddy are things that you know about Buddy, that you have experienced of Buddy, and what if those things are things that other people have told you or if you've learned elsewhere? What if those are your own personal living experience? This friend of yours. He goes through that. And then he asks him, how are you similar to this friend of yours? And how are you different? Right? Usually, that's an easy process to go through with a kid. And they can kind of, they can call, kind of follow that train of thought. Then he says, okay, now let's try that again with Jesus. Right? The premise here is that confession, homo logeia in Greek, homo logos, one word, is about realignment, is about returning to a word, is about returning to be one with God. It's, it's about communion more than it is about guilt or about writing a grocery list of sins. So when I was like uh, 13 or 14 or something, uh, I discovered the, the numbered list feature in Microsoft Word, right? So I figured, this is great. So I just figured, let me type up my confession list. So I did, I typed it up, right? And I went for confession. Abuna, please forgive me. And I said, mm, pray and so on. And I read off my list. He prayed the absolutions for me. Come back three or four weeks later, right? And before I go, I like pull up the list. And I'm like, I'm sure I did all of these things and more. Let's see what other sins I can come up with. Anyways, I did that for a few, a few times in a row until I ended up with like 82 sins. No joke, right? So I go to Abuna with my list, right? And here I go, Abuna... Please pray to God to forgive me for, and I just started rattling off my list. And looks at me. he looks at me, he says, whoa, 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 what is that? I'm like, what's well, my list of sins? Says, Where'd you get that from? I'm like, well, like, like my computer, I type them up and I figure like, you know, I'm not, I don't seem to be getting any better. So I just add to it because I know I did all that stuff and I probably did more, right? So I just keep adding to it, right? And he goes, no, 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 that's not what this is about. So he told me, pick one thing on there and come back in three weeks and tell me whether you were faithful in that one commandment. It's like, what? What about the other 81 sins, right? And I'm sure there's more I haven't thought of. So he laughed and he told me, if you'll be faithful in one thing, you will be faithful in all. That whole way of thinking, of a, it's a self-improvement project, that's all wrong. Like, I don't know where I got that from. I hope you don't think that way. It's all wrong. 100% wrong. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about me. It's returning to Christ. So, the, the, you know, like no one drives looking the opposite direction that they're driving. And if they do, they're not going to be doing it for very long. Right? You look in the direction you're going. Where am I going? I'm going to Christ. I'm going to be aligned with Christ. So I look at Him. So He's my reference point. Right? So, list Christ's characteristics. What do you know about Jesus? What have you ever heard about Jesus? Make, make a big, long, make a, make a list of 82 characteristics of God, not of your sins, right? Then go and circle the ones you have experienced personally. The ones that you, you can tell a story, you can show a picture of something that belongs there. Yeah, I know God to be faithful because, man, one day I was living really wrong and God still helped me, whatever. Right? You know, things you know. Now, of those things, which are things that God has given you? Right? You say, God is faithful. And you know what? I'm a pretty faithful person. I have lots of friends who stabbed me in the back multiple times. And people think I'm stupid for still being their friend. I'm cautious. I'm careful. But I don't see any reason not to love them just as much now as before they stabbed me in the back. I'm a faithful person. Okay, great. See, see, none of this is depressing. Right? None of this is a putting you down. 
All of this is looking to Christ. But how faithful have I been in the gifts God has given me? That's the question. God gave me a talent. He gave me two. He gave me five. He gave me ten. How faithful have I been with those? And am I faithful with those to the people I like, the people I don't like, all the time, anytime, when I'm tired, when I'm well, when I'm hungry? Right? And then in addition, finally, what are the things that I'm doing that just have nothing to do with God? And why am I doing that? Just to complete the picture at the end. So, I have prepared for you this on a handout. For anyone who didn't, didn't, didn't write it down, I'm horrible at note-taking. It basically just says this and a bunch of Bible verses on the back that have this. Honestly, this is my new way, um, not my new way, a new way of examining myself in the light of Christ. And this is what I do. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that you, Lord, is that you, Lord, would day by day be revealing your person to us. Day by day, Lord, you would reveal yourself to me. Day by day, Lord, you would allow for my mind to be renewed. You would allow me to have more and more your mind, Lord, to let go of my funny ideas, let go of my funny way of being, my funny ambitions and my funny desires, Lord, that really there's no place for them anymore, Lord. I'm sick of them. I'm really God, like I've had enough. Lord, and all I want is you, you and all of you, and nothing but you. Glory be to God forever and ever.